Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 83 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and it's good to be back doing our regular scheduling now that our Bibbulmun track hike is over. Yeah, it's good to be here too, and uh, I think Tim's taken a bit of the limelight in the last few weeks, so going to steal some of that back today. Okay, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the care and maintenance of hiking equipment. Hiking as a recreation or as an activity does rely on a certain amount of equipment uh, to be able to go through and successfully and safely uh, do some hiking. How much gear you need is really up to you as an individual. It's also based on the type of hiking you do, the environmental conditions, including the weather and the terrain, and also the budget you want to go through and work with as well. For the majority of hikers, um, once they've got their equipment, uh, many hikers will tend to stay with that equipment until it's actually on on death's door and need replacing. For other hikers, it's, uh, and I sort of fall a bit into this category here, where it's what's the next new shiny object out there that, that I can uh, replace and upgrade my uh, my gear list with. Uh, and for many hikers, they'll fall somewhere between those two extremes. And I think what we're going to talk about today in terms of care and maintenance applies to um, anybody um, who wants to get the most out of their gear and keep it in good working order. There's no doubt that if you take a bit of care of your gear, if you um, maintain it and clean it uh, when you need to, um, it'll be there to support you for a longer period of time. Okay, so we hope you enjoy this episode. Now, the first thing I want to go through and talk about is when should you actually go through and, and look after your gear? And I suppose there's, again, there's no real right and wrong answer here, but there's probably a number of different times that I'd recommend that you go through and do some maintenance and some care in your equipment. Now, the first one is, uh, I'd say, is before you go out on a trip. And, and I wouldn't say five minutes before. I'd probably be looking at the week before. Um, <laughs> Though I'm uh, sure that happens. It, it does happen. Um, but, you know, so if you're going hiking in a week's time, I'd be getting on my gear out now, a week, a week in advance, having a look at it and seeing what issues there are. I know for a lot of us, sometimes we get home, uh, we're, we're a bit rushed towards the end of the, the trip. We throw everything into its gear storage area uh, and forget about it. And if there have been problems on the trip, we tend to forget about those as well. So by getting the gear out a week before, going through and having a quick check over, making sure there's no issues, no problems, um, that'd be the first time I'd go through and look at um, doing a bit of preventative maintenance if need be. And the thing is that um, you might have put your gear away quite well. You might have cleaned it up and, and stored it what you think is safe safely, but uh, sometimes things can happen uh, while your gear is in storage. So, you know, it's good to get it out well in advance of a trip so that you can make sure that uh, nothing's happened to it while it's been sitting in its storage container. 
Okay, the next time I'd be looking at as far as care and maintenance is concerned is as soon as you come back from a trip. And I'd say here as soon as practical and as soon as possible after the trip. For many of us, uh, we get home after a hard day or a hard week or a hard weekend out on the trail, uh, and all we want to do is just drop the gear off in the garage or the storage shed and just go and have a lie down on the couch. Uh, and then you realize it's it's three or four days later or a week later and, and it's still sitting there and it hasn't been looked after. So once you've come back from the trip, even if it's 15, 20 minutes, take everything out of the pack, throw any rubbish away, uh, identify any issues you need to deal with, uh, put all your clothing in the washing basket or the washing machine, wherever you happen to be, uh, and um, get the gear under control at that stage. I think for me, this one is really about reminding yourself of those little things that didn't quite go the way you had planned. So uh, little fixes that you might uh, need to do that if you don't get to uh, straight away or at least find a way of reminding yourself, um, you'll just forget about. Okay, so the next time I'd be looking at is at the start of the hiking season. Now, depending on where you are for this, you may actually have a hiking season, you may not. So for me in um, southern part of New South Wales, really I, I, I tend to hike year-round. Uh, there's no real hiking season as such. But I know for some some of our listeners, depending on where you are, uh, you may be in areas where you've got heavy snow and you don't go hiking when it's snowing. You may be in an area where the heat's so intense that you tend to change or do different activities during the hot part of the year. Or it may be that you're in the middle of a cyclonic area and it's just pouring rain for weeks on end and you decide not to go hiking for a, a period of months. So again, you, you know, you, you decide that I'm going to put my gear away and, and concentrate on some other activity. So in this sort of situation, I'd be making sure that everything's um, cleaned, uh, not covered with dirt. Uh, if there's any issues or any, any repairs that need doing, rather than leaving them till the next time you go hiking and then forget, I'd actually be going through and, and trying to fix them up now. Um, I think the other issue tends to be as well is when you are putting them away for storage for any period of time, um, I'd be looking at insect and rodent damage as well. Um, I know um, in some instances uh, you might get mice decide to make a nest if you haven't properly stored your gear away. Uh, you might get uh, silverfish or uh, something that might start to eat some of your clothing or the, some of the softer fabrics. Um, so I'd be putting it into a sealed storage bin. And if you are storing it for a period of months, I'd even be looking, and, and insects potentially are a problem, I'd be looking at things like mothballs just as a bit of a preventative as well. The next step I'd, I'd look at as far as uh, as gear maintenance and gear care is you've gone through and put your gear away at the end of the season. Now it's time to get it back out again. Um, and it may have been weeks or even months that you've looked at it. There could have been some damage that's occurred. There could have been some mold or some insect damage. Or as I said, you could have, th could have uh, decided that, I, that something needs repairing or get around to it next time I look at it. And all of a sudden, this is the next time. And it might not even fit you, Tim. Well, yeah, that's the other. <laughs> that's certainly the other issue as well. Particularly with clothing, if you've put on a few kilos and your clothing was a bit tight uh, last time you tried it on, uh, it is going to be worthwhile seeing if the clothing still does fit in particular. Or you've lost a few kilos, Tim. Or you've lost a few kilos as well. That can, that can always happen.
The next time I'd look at doing some care and maintenance on the equipment is when it needs it. Now, it might be that um, something happens when you're out on the trail, and I'll, I'll use as an example here, shoelaces. I usually use um, trail runners for my hiking. I'll get roughly 1,000 to 1,200 kilometres out of a pair of trail runners, and I have never broken a shoelace on a pair of trail runners because they'll last quite comfortably for that sort of distance. However, when I do wear leather boots, which isn't that common, um, but typically my leather boots will last six to eight years, and if I've got a pair of shoelaces that are, that are getting sort of five, six years old, I definitely want to have a spare shoelace. Uh, and in particular, the shoelaces on leather boots tend to be much longer than, than those on trail runners. So I'll usually carry a spare with me. So if they're starting to fray, starting to look a bit old, I'll replace them just as a matter of course. It may be that, you again, you're out on the trail and your inflatable sleeping mat uh, develops a leak and you need to go through and fix that because you're just not getting good sleep. So having a spare parts kit uh, and knowing how, uh, as far as a patch kit and knowing how to use it is one of those times when you want to uh, uh, go through and have the, the ability to repair on the trail. The other time, as far as maintaining your gear uh, and as far as when it needs it, is when you can start smelling it. Uh, and particularly <laughs> if uh, if you're on a long trip, um, you may find that your clothing, your footwear is starting to smell a bit. And it may be simple as just as doing a wash and a clean, because certainly if you can smell it, so can everybody else. And generally, everyone else can smell it before you. I think that's the key message there. Okay, so we're going to look at um, the the individual components of the equipment and as far as what we'll actually need to go through and do with them. So the first one we're going to look at is the sleep system and this really includes the sleeping bag, uh, the sleeping bag liner and the sleeping mat. First thing I'd say through here is um, the sleeping bag itself. Um, sleeping bags tend to be a long-term item. Uh, if you look after them, they will last many years. Um, uh, and in fact, the last time I got rid of a sleeping bag uh, because it wasn't performing was because it was 25 years old and the down had been coming out of it for so long, it wasn't keeping me warm. But to look at it, it looked perfectly good. Yeah, I think that's the case. And I think sometimes we get a bit frightened about doing... Um, care and, and maintenance on sleeping bags. Um, they are particularly uh, robust things, um, but sometimes uh, we get a bit nervous about doing things like washing them. So main thing with sleeping bags, to minimise the amount of dirt and oils from your own skin that get on them, use a sleeping bag liner. And there's a number of different liners available on the market. I tend to use a, a thin silk liner in most cases. Uh, and that just keeps the grime and the dirt off the bag itself. Follow the manufacturer's recommend recommendations for the bag. Uh, and my current bag, which is a, um, a Cedar Summit bag, the storage bag actually has the care and maintenance instructions and the washing instructions printed on the storage bag. So you're never going to lose them. When you do wash them, uh, wash by hand or use a gentle cycle on a front-loading machine. Don't put them into a top-loading ag agitator machine. It's just likely to damage the bag. Don't use standard washing detergents. Uh, use products designed particularly for down products. And Nick Wax actually produce a down-cleaning product that does a very good job. 
you don't need too much of it. Uh, and certainly for me, um, coming back from the Bibbleman track, five weeks trip, I used my sleeping bag for 32 nights. I didn't notice that it smelt at all, but Jill certainly said that she could notice it. Oh, yes, it smelt. <laughs> and, and, that, and thank God for your, your liner, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, and that, and that was with me using a liner. So um, it was one of those sort of things, while it didn't look dirty, it certainly smelt and needed a clean. The other thing I'd go through and do is saying, with sleeping bags in particular, don't dry clean them. Dry, chemi- dry cleaning chemicals will tend to damage the bag. And most bags these days have got a, 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 a durable water repellent treatment on the, the down just to keep them dry as far as possible. As I said before, don't wash in a top-loading machine with an agitator. Um, be very careful about handling sopping wet sleeping bags because the amount of weight in water can, uh, in them, if you're lifting them up or a bit rough of them, can damage the internal baffling and impact on the quality of the bag. If you do tumble dry a sleeping bag or other down product for that matter, uh, use the gentle cycle uh, and throw a couple of clean tennis balls in there as well because they actually help to uh, stop the down clumping. And last but not least, don't store in the compression bag. So normally you find when you buy reasonable quality bags, they'll come with a compression bag as well as a storage bag. Um, Trying to store a sleeping bag long-term in a little compression bag tends to stop them uh, fluffing back up again, uh, or lofting as it's called, and keeping you warm. Sleeping bag liners, again, they're fairly simple to maintain. Just go through um, and um, use them to uh, uh, just give them a bit of a wash. Uh, again, in a uh, um, you can throw them in at the same time as you do with the, uh, the sleeping bag. Uh, otherwise, um, just pull through and put them in with a, a fairly gentle detergent uh, in a, on a, a front-loading machine. Um, and um, uh, again, I tend to. This is probably one of the few items that I don't tend to put in the dryer. I'll just tend to hang up on the clothesline and let, let them dry out naturally. Yeah, I tend to do the uh, wash the liner separate to the sleeping bag. Just something that I do. Um, I, to be honest, I don't worry too much about gentle cycle or anything like that. I've Depending on how dirty it is, it might get a separate wash. Um, otherwise, it'll just go in with uh, everything else. As long as the other things in there are not going to pull it apart uh, a little bit. But certainly um, the silk liners you need to be a little bit more careful with. Uh, but some of the other uh, cotton or um, thermal liners um, are pretty robust. Okay. Now, the last item in the sleeping system is the sleeping mat. Um, and in most cases, I find my sleeping mat probably picks up more dirt than the actual sleeping bag itself. Um, it's either sitting directly on a sleeping platform, you may have uh, something underneath it, but you do tend to get more dirt on a sleeping mat than you do on the, on the bag itself. Um, and um, I tend to wipe the, uh, the, the, the mat down uh, to get the bulk of the, um, the dirt off it. Uh, and then I'll go through and give it a wipe with soapy water. Um, to see if there's any leaks in the mat. Um, so the soapy water means that when the air comes out, you'll have bubbles formed on the mat. Um, and sometimes the, the holes on a, an inflatable mat are so tiny, you struggle to find them. Um, but you know, sometimes I've seen people spend hours trying to find one tiny little hole, uh, where the mat's deflating, uh, you know, over the entire night. 
Now for clothing. Um, now, hiking clothing is pretty much the same as any other clothing. Uh, wash as the recommended instructions dictate. Um, and again, I have a preference for using um, uh, front-loading washing machines. The last time I put my hiking clothing into a top-loading machine, uh, one of my tops lost an argument with the agitator and it tore a hole in one of the sleeves. Uh, now, again, that was a that was at a commercial laundry mat. I didn't have much of a choice, uh, but certainly, given the option, I won't use top-loading machines where I can. Um, I'll also put my clothing in the dryer, uh, and again, following instructions where I can. However, having said that, I wear a lot of wool or wool blend tops, and usually they will say, do not uh, machine dry, uh, but we both tend to throw them into the dryer as well on a gentle cycle. Um, it can potentially shrink them, uh, but we tend to sort of check and see how they go, and that, ha- that certainly hasn't been an issue for the clothing I'm wearing at the moment. Um, and it, it has the potential to reduce the lifespan, but I just don't have the time to go through and hang them up and, and dry them slowly. Uh, so I do tend to put my, my clothes in the dryer, even when the recommendations say not to. And just on co- clothing, the main thing I think is you put light things together. So when you are uh, washing pants of a particular weight, then you collect together the pants of that sort of weight and wash them together for the tops that are lighter, particularly the the wool type tops. Um, wash all of those together. So um, you can have smaller washes rather than one big wash. Um, smaller washes tend to wash things a bit better as well. All right, now we'll go on to the puffer jacket. And I've separated that out from the clothing Really, when you talk about the puffer jacket, whether it be synthetic or down, really what you're looking at here is another sleeping bag, essentially. And we, when we talked about sleeping bags, we talked about down. Synthetic bags, I'd treat just the same. And that goes for the puffer jackets as well. Um, if you follow the manufacturer's recommendations, um, use a down washing product, um, like the Nick Wax products. Um, uh, and go through and wash them in a front-loading machine on the gentle cycle and in a dryer, uh, again on a gentle cycle with a couple of tennis balls to stop any clumping. We've done this for a number of years with our down and our synthetic jackets and also the sleeping bags and haven't had any problems with how they've performed and, and, and lasted. I think the main thing in, in uh, putting things into the dryer is that um, you don't want to get them to bone dry in the dryer. So, you know, you want to get most of the moisture out of them and um, then just finish off that last little bit through airing. Um, in It can be indoors or it can be outdoors. So um, when you put them in the dryer, it's not about getting them absolutely red hot and bone dry. Um, it's just getting most of the moisture out of them. Now, we talked about not um, storing sleeping bags in a compressed state and jackets uh, down down or, or synthetic jackets are the same. A lot of the jackets will often come with their own internal storage pockets or they'll come with uh, a small compression sack. You're better off storing them loose rather than having them jammed into a tiny little tight space. And particularly for uh, down jackets, uh, uh, don't store them hanging up on a coat hanger as well. So um, they do need to be in their storage sack, um, lying flat as much as 
possible uh, without anything heavy on top of them. Now, rain gear, uh, and again, into this sort of category, I'll, I'll actually group rain gear and tents together here um, because they, they tend to be similar sorts of material. They're a, a synthetic material that has a, a waterproof coating on them of some sort. So the, the treatment in most cases is going to be the same, although uh, there are some differences, and I'll talk about those in a moment. I'm currently wearing a Marmot Precip jacket, um, and it's two and a half years old. Um, and I'll go through and treat that annually with um, a Nikwax Tech Wash or Nikwax TX Direct, which is a waterproofing products. Um, and really the time to, to start deciding whether you need to do this or not is if the water is not beating on the jacket when it rains, it's probably time for a waterproofing coating. Uh, now, that's going to depend on how often you hike and how often it gets wet. If you're only using your jacket once a year, I'd probably be saying, well, okay, maybe look at doing it once a year. If you're using it every day and it's getting rained on quite heavily, you might need to do it two, three, four times a year if it's getting that much use. Yeah, when we did Overland Track, I had a pair of rain pants that um, uh, weren't particularly waterproof. I end up, ended up being quite wet and quite quite damp along the way. Um, and I think even my rain jacket wasn't working as well as it should as well. One of the things on rain jackets is um, I threw a pair, uh, an old pair of rain pants and a rain jacket out uh, late last year. They were six years old, and I was actually getting wet because the seams had failed. The, the water wasn't coming through the fabric itself. It was getting through the seams. Now, you can buy seam sealers to go through and fix that issue up, and I could have done that. But for the sake of a few hours fiddling around with a seam sealer and then waterproofing the jacket itself on a, on a six-year-old jacket that wasn't that expensive, um, I, uh, I decided just to get a new jacket. Um, but if you want to, you can certainly seam seal and waterproof them and they will keep on lasting. It just depends on whether you have the time or not. Um, again, most of these jackets these days are designed that they can go through the washing machine quite well. Um, and, and as far as washing them, don't use bleach or fabric softener. Um, don't dry cling them uh, and don't store the garment when it's still wet because you'll end up potentially getting mold growing on the jackets themselves. Uh, and again, with these ones, it's dry in the shade um, because this synthetic sort of materials don't like UV. They prefer to dry in a shady position. Now, we talked about saying that tents and uh, rain gear are very similar, and they really are. I mean, they're, they're really just a synthetic fabric that's got a durable water coating on them. Um, so tents also need to be water treated on a regular basis. Now, this does really apply to how often you use them and how wet the conditions are going to be as well. Uh, but certainly my Big Agonist Copper Spur tent, it's two and a half years old. First time I treated it was around about the two-year mark. It was getting through some quite heavy rainstorms and coping quite well with them. Um, having said that I don't necessarily treat the rain jackets with a seam sealer, tents are a bit more expensive. They tend to be considered to be a much more long-term prospect, and I will look at using a seam sealing product, um, and I've got some um, uh, an example or an option of that in the written version of this article. Um, Unless this tent is that badly damaged or is torn and ripped and has just about had it, and you know you're going to throw it away, but you know I I don't tend to do that to tents. 
Um, I've still got, um, I've now got three tents. Uh, my oldest tent, um, is going, is probably around about four and a half years old now, still in really good condition, still perfectly good. Uh, and I expect it to be for a number of years yet. Now the pack, um, the pack probably with the exception of say footwear and maybe your pants, the pack is one of those pieces of equipment that's going to get potentially quite dirty. You're taking it off, you're putting it down on a log or a rock or on the ground. Um, it's likely to pick up a bit, a bit more dirt because of that. Um, so typically when I get home, I'll empty the pack out, making sure there's nothing left in any of the pockets. Uh, give it a hose down to get any loose dirt off it and then give it a soak um, uh, and, and using the Nick Wax Wax Tech Wash. Um, and I'll often do this around about two to three times a year because my pack is getting used quite regularly. And even though I do use an internal liner and a rain cover on my packs, um, the, the Nick Wax Tech Wash tends to wash as well as waterproof the pack at the same time and get any of the stains out of it. Yeah, I think you will find, though, that your pack will get a little bit dirty and uh, the dirt may not wash out. So um, do you know? Do expect that the outside of your, your pack to get a little bit um, grubby over time, um, even if you take a lot of really good care of it. Now for footwear, and the footwear really is going to be one of those things that is going to get dirty, uh, the, the most dirtiest of any piece of equipment you own. It is in direct contact with the ground, um, but it's made for that. So what I'd be inclined to do is, you know, at the end of the hiking trip, go through and knock off any loose dirt. Uh, if it's really bad, wash the, the footwear. Uh, and again, on my recent Bibbleman track hike, there was two occasions where I actually physically washed my footwear because it was so muddy and so dirty and they smelt so bad um, that they just needed to go through and give them a good wash down. Um, as I said before, things like shoelaces for trail runners. Um, I um, tend not to worry about carrying spare shoelaces, but for leather boots, particularly older boots, I'll always carry at least one spare shoelace just in case. And I think that's also a good point. The you know the boots all um, stay with you a lot longer than the trail runners or those kinds of uh, shoes. And so you know when you are cleaning up your shoes, it's also a good um, a good idea when you're cleaning your boots to take the laces out and wash the laces because they can get a bit grubby and a get and uh, any sort of um, dirt in them will make them a bit uh, brittle and stiff and again, prone to snapping. Now, as far as footwear is concerned, as I said, trail runners, really all I do is give them a wash and I will replace the liners as the liners, uh, uh, for me, the, the inserts, if you like, they'll, they'll last around about 300-odd kilometres, 350 kilometres. But as far as leather footwear is concerned, um, they do tend to be a much longer-term process. They'll last, for me, a, pair, a good pair of leather boots will last six to eight years. Um, and um, as I said, apart from shoelaces, I'll go through and treat the leather. Uh, now, because of my age and the way I, I, the amount of years I've been wearing them, I tend to use Dubbin, but certainly there are commercial products. But certainly for me, I've always used Dubbin, and it's just, you know, it's a bit hard to change away from that as a product. Now, cooking gear. Um, and I'll break cooking gear into two systems here, or two uh, groups here. 
um, things like knives and forks and cups and plates, um, you want to go through and clean those at least on a daily basis to get any food scraps off them. Because if you do leave food scraps, particularly over an extended trip, you run the risk of having hygiene issues and getting stomach upsets. So making sure you clean your your, your utensils and your cutlery uh, and your plates certainly is, is something to get into the habit of. Uh, and then at the end of the trip, give them a good thorough wash, put them through the dishwasher, put them through a hand wash, whatever which whatever you're used to, uh, but make sure they're nice and clean. Um, as far as stoves are concerned, um, there really is a limit to how much maintenance you can do on a, a cooking stove. Um, I do on occasion use a hexamine stove. Uh, it tends to leave a, a residue on the on the metal stove unit itself. So typically what I'll do is when I get back from a trip, I'll put it into hot water just to dissolve that off and get it nice and clean and get rid of the smell. But in most cases, there is a limit to what you can do with stoves. So stoves in most cases tend to have a use-by date on them. And once they stop functioning properly, time for a new stove, if that's the issue, or if they start breaking down or corroding. Now, the last piece of equipment I want to talk about in relation to uh, uh, care and maintenance is the hydration equipment. Now, when we're talking about hydration equipment, we're either talking about water bottles or water bladders. For me, it's water bladders. I just have a preference, and that's just the way I am. Some people, they prefer water bottles, and there's nothing wrong with either one. I made the mistake a few years ago of taking my water bladder out, sitting it by the kitchen sink and thinking, yep, I'll clean that over the next few days. That turned into just on a week. And by the end of the week, I had black mold growing inside the bladder itself and inside the the drinking tube uh, because there was a fair amount of water in there that was in contact with direct sunlight. So again, this is one of these all good intentions. I'll get, get to it at some point and I didn't. Uh, so it then resu- resulted in me having to do a fairly thorough cleaning job on the bladders. So um, really with water bladders, uh, now I go through and empty them out quite quickly. I give them a rinse out. I've got a uh, a hydration cleaning kit, which is a, a, a couple of wire brushes that you can get inside the tubing and get inside the bladders and give them a good scrub down. Um, Once that's done, I hang them up to dry, which doesn't take too long, and then I store them in a cool, dry place. So by maintaining them on a regular basis, um, I've solved the issue of not having any uh, uh, any, uh, mould growing on them. I think the thing to remember about the water bladders is that um, sometimes it's uh, what's in your water. Sometimes uh, when you use things like hydrolyte, um, you're increasing... Uh, introducing things into the water um, and sometimes it's just by virtue of you um, sucking on your your tube um, that you're introducing things into the water. So all sorts of things could be happening in that water. Um, whenever you're drinking, that ends up in your body. So uh, you, the last thing you want is residue from the last hike uh, to be in the bladder when you're on the next hike. <laughs> So, and this is probably one of the more important things here. I mean, um, I there's two ways I tend to use my bladder. One is I'll collect water from whatever source, whether it be a water tank or a stream, and I'll have a little Sawyer inline filter, which filters as I drink. But it means the the water bladder is having impurities introduced to it. 
The other time is I'll filter the water and then put it into the bladder. And again, sometimes I'll, I'll vary which way I go with uh, this option. Um, but certainly um, trying to keep the water source clean as best you can. Um, the water platters and the water bottles tend to be a bit more fiddly. Uh, and particularly the bladders are, are much more fiddly than the bottles. Um, but this is one of these things you really do want to go through and clean and maintain. Okay, so just as a final comment on care and maintenance of equipment, um, keeping your equipment clean and cared for is an investment, and it's going to ensure that it performs long into the future. But don't be afraid to decide, look, this gear really has had it. I'm having to repair this on such a regular basis, or it just doesn't suit my needs anymore. It's time to replace it. Um, yes, you've got to work with a budget and you can't replace everything at all at once with new gear and you may not want to, but certainly um, the, the, you need to decide whether something is worth persevering with and maintaining. But I think that's a better choice and a better decision to make than uh, not having maintained it and then you're forced to actually replace it. So you're forced, you're forced to invest in something that perhaps could have taken a little bit more wear um, if you'd spent a bit of time on it. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed. Our next episode in two weeks' time, episode 84, is hiking in hot weather. Uh, given that we are, uh, as we're recording this, daylight savings has just started and the weather is starting to heat up for many of us. Um, so we're going to look at do's and don'ts for hiking in the heat. Yeah, and hopefully the weather will warm up a little bit, but perhaps not too much. <laughs> okay. As always, this episode is available to listen through the Australian Hiker website, through SoundCloud, through Stitcher Radio, and through iTunes. Please go through and give us a five-star rating on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.